Good morning, church. It's good to see you and be with you today as we continue through uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we, we begin now the, uh, the, the passion narrative. We're getting close, aren't we? We've, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed in a very short amount of time. And, and we are talking today and we see today uh, the, the Last Supper. Um, the, uh, the, the context, though, of this, of this text is, is laid out in, in verse 1, the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And today, uh, we're going to talk about power. We're going to talk about authority. You're talking about control. Uh, and and uh, this, this context, it actually it really, uh, I think, sets the tone because uh, what, what does the fe- Festival of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, uh, what, what was this, this celebration? Well, it was a celebration of remembrance of the deliverance, of God's deliverance from, uh, of his people from Egypt, from Pharaoh, from slavery. Uh, we, we know the story. Uh, you know, uh, the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt for over 400 years. Uh, God sent Moses and uh, said, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Uh, Moses did this. And again and again, Pharaoh said, no. And so God said, I will pronounce judgment on the gods of Egypt. This was a, a power struggle between Israel and Israel's God and between Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And so after, even after plague, after plague, after plague, after nine plagues, Pharaoh still says, I will not let my, I will not let your people go. Uh, and so uh, God says, I'm going to send one last plague on Pharaoh and then he will let, uh, he will let you go. And so get ready. He said, uh, prepare your, uh, you know, like, like put your sandals on your feet, have your staff in your hand, get your bag packed because I'm going to take you out of Egypt quickly. That's why this is the parable there. That's why this festival of unleavened bread because the Israelites had to leave so fast from Egypt. They didn't have time to, for, to let their, uh, their yeast Rise, uh, and so uh, so Moses said. Uh, Moses told the people, and, and here we, we see uh, in Exodus twelve, Moses preparing the people for this moment. Then Moses summoned the elders of uh, of Israel and said to them, "Go, select an animal." from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and then brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. So he says, you're gonna kill an animal. You're gonna wipe the blood, brush the blood onto the doorpost, onto the door frame of your houses. Why? None of you may go out of the house, it says, uh, the door of the house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and uh, and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. The last plague was that God would go through the land and the destroyer, the, the angel of death, would go through the land and strike every firstborn in the land of Egypt of man and beast. But when, uh, when he came through, when, when this, this angel of death came through, the destroyer came through, it, 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 he would see the blood on the doorpost. He would see the blood over the Israelites' doors and he would pass over. That's why this is called the Passover, the remembrance, uh, this, this, this feast and this festival. Uh, and, and, and so uh, Moses commanded uh, in Exodus 12, so keep this command permanently uh, as a statute to you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, uh, as he has promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he has passed over for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and, he's, and he spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. 
And so this is the context that, that we're, we're walking into. This time of the year, the Jews had celebrated the Passover uh, and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread for over a thousand years, right? America's 250 years old-ish. So over four times the length of our country, uh, the Israelites each year had celebrated this festival to remember the great deliverance of their people from slavery in Egypt. And so this is the, the, the meal that, that is coming and the meal that's approaching. We're gonna ask three questions today um, that will guide our time. First, who's in control? Second, to what end? And third, how should Christians use power? Who's in control to what end? And how should Christians use power? Let's take a moment to pray and we'll begin. Would you take a moment just in your seat to pray for yourself? Would you ask that God would speak to you? Next, would you pray for someone on your row, or someone around you, uh, maybe someone you know, maybe someone you don't know, but ask God to speak to them this morning. Lastly, would you pray for me uh, would you ask that I would be faithful to God's word this morning, uh, that I would be helpful to you? Father, you know that we need you as always. And so we ask you to speak. Uh, would you cut through the noise? Would you cut through all the busyness, all the distractions? Um, we, we are uh, anxious and worried about many things, uh, but one thing is necessary now that we, would stand, that we would sit before you, that we would sit at your feet, that we would uh, put ourselves under your authority and under your word, and that you would speak to us, Lord. And so we are yours. Would you, would you please um, encourage us? Would you please challenge us? Would you please uh, do whatever it is that we need, whatever it is that, it, that is good for us by your word? We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. First, who is in control? Who's in control? Well, I think in this passage, there's a couple parties that think that they're in control, that seem to, to feel that they are in control, but in fact are not. Um, the first one is in verse two, the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death. Um, the, the chief priests and the scribes, they, they, uh, they were the religious elite of the day. They were the religious, the, the top of the religious hierarchy. These were wealthy, well-connected, uh, you know, well-respected people. These were people who are not used to being challenged. Uh, and Jesus has again and again and again been challenging them, been calling them out on their hypocrisy, calling them out on the ways that they use their position and their power to enrich themselves, to uh, gain the, the praise of men. Even here we see they're afraid of the people, all right? They, they can't just arrest Jesus in the temple because all the people are there. They're afraid of the mob. Um, and, and so uh, they, they say, we, we, he's, he's got to go, right? He's got to die. And they, they believe that they're in control. They're, they're the most powerful people in Jerusalem, uh, you know, uh, besides the Romans. And so uh, they think, well, we're, we're going we're to take care of him. 
we're going to put him to death. Um, next is uh, the next party that thinks they're in control is, is in verse three. Then Satan entered Judas. It's Satan, the, the great enemy of God, the ancient snake. Now, we, we've seen Satan back in Luke chapter four uh, is the last time we saw him explicitly like this. And when he came and he tempted Jesus for three temptations in the wilderness, if you remember. And if you remember, the last temptation was one of power. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you'll simply bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no, no, I, I, I worship God and him only will I serve. And it says that Satan withdrew from him for a time. Right, so the, the image is Satan, uh, Satan it was defeated in that, in that battle, uh, but he withdrew and he, he, he was waiting for the right time. And this apparently is the time that he chose. This is, this is his move. I, I'm gonna make my move against the son of God. I'm gonna use Judas to do it. Satan believes he has control. Satan does have authority on the earth, right? And in some, in some way, he's, he still has power here and he's gonna use all of it he can against Jesus right here. The third party that, that feels like they have some control, that feels like they're, they're, uh, they're controlling events is Judas. Uh, Judas called Iscariot, who is numbered among the 12. He's one of Jesus's inner circle, one of his closest friends, one of his ministry partners. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how that he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. Right, it's, 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 it's hard not to try to psychoanalyze Judas and try to think, man, where did this come from? You could be around Jesus for three years. You could be, see everything, see his life, see his teaching, see his miracles, and, and still hate him. There's, there's some kind of deep animosity here. There's some kind of deep resentment. There's some kind of deep bitterness. And Judas decides with, in, in, in this animosity that it's time, which, is, which becomes diabolical, demonic animosity, it's time for Jesus to die. It's time for him to get what he deserves. And so he goes and he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, we learned from uh, the other gospels. And for money, for money. And, and won't, won't we do crazy things for money? All of these parties think that they're in control they're, and they're using the influence, they're using the power, they're using the authority that they have in the way that we often see uh, power, we often see control used in the world, right? For deceit, to, to enrich themselves, to get revenge on enemies, to, to consolidate power. Often the end of power, right? The point of power is to have more power, to consolidate power. So if you have power, you use that power to make sure you keep it. This is often how power operates in the world. But who is actually in control? Who's actually in control in the situation? Well, in verse eight, Jesus sends Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. 
And he tells them, you're gonna go find, go, you're gonna walk into town, you're gonna, there's gonna be a guy carrying a jar, you're gonna follow this guy and you'll see the owner of the house, you'll ask them and he'll, t- he'll take you to a room that's ready for us, right? Now, some people, some commentators are like, maybe Jesus like pre-prepared this, you know, in secret and he's just telling his disciples how to get there. Um, uh, or, or maybe this is, and I lean to this, this is one of the, the Jesus flexing his <laughs> divine authority, right? It's like when, when, uh, when he needs the tax, you know, he needs to pay the temple tax and he's like, okay, go catch a fish and there'll be a there'll be a coin in there, you know. Uh, I, I think he, he's, he's, uh, he, he's orchestrating this. And they went, verse 13, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. It seems that Jesus is orchestrating events, doesn't it? And then we get to the meal. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Right before I suffer. And we, we see through this meal that Jesus knows. He knows his hour has come. He knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to suffer. He knows that he's going to die, that his blood will be spilled. And he knows that he will rise again. And then look at verse 22. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. As it has been determined. Who's in control? The Father's in control. Right? As it has been determined, that means there is a plan. There is a plan. It, things are going according to the plan. And Jesus, in his role, right, as, as the, the second person of the Trinity, as the Son, he is submitting himself willingly to the, to the Father, to the Father's plan. Jesus has power. Right? Well, he, he has authority. We've seen it all throughout Luke. He teaches with authority, not as describes. He heals. He, he casts out demons. Oh, he has power. And he's using it to submit now to the Father's authority. The Father is in control. And, and there is, in the world, an ultimate divine authority. There is a king. There is a, a ruler who is in charge of all, who has all authority and all power. And I think this changes how we perceive earthly power. Right? In, in our world, there's a tendency to see earthly power uh, in, in sort of at least two ways. Right? And, and, and in, our, in our world, there's generally assume that there is no divine judge. There's, there's only us, only humanity. And so you see power in this way. And there's a tendency to see power on one side as abusive. Right? Any power, any, anytime anyone has power over someone else, it's bad, it's oppressive, it's harmful. That's, that's one side, that's one view. And then, then there's another side that, that tends to lift up power, even, even uh, idolize power. People are drawn to leaders and to movements who they lift up. They, people tend to lift up as absolutely virtuous. Right? This is good. We want to follow that. But when we, when we put, when we see power in the context of reality, in the context of the scriptures, we see that there is a divine authority. There is a king of the universe. And how does that make us See earthly power. Well, it makes us see we can't actually go for either of these, (laughs) right? Power is not intrinsically bad or intrinsically good. It's just good to the extent that it is used in submission to God, 
And it's just bad to the extent that it is not used in submission to God, the ultimate authority. But we see here that, that the father is in control. There is a divine lawgiver and judge. And to, to what end? Okay, second, to what end? So what, to what end, what's the goal of using this power if God is ultimately in control? And here's where we get to the, the meat of this, uh, the, the supper. I think sometimes we, we miss uh, the, the importance of this because we, uh, we, we miss the, the, the Jewish background. We don't, we don't have the, uh, the, the background of the, the Passover. Um, this Passover, again, this meal that was celebrated for over a thousand years, every year by the Jews, it had a very uh, clear structure. It had a very clear liturgy. There were four cups uh, and, and there, were, there were hymns that you would sing at certain times and there were, there were things that you would read. And there, after one of the cups, the, the, uh, the child, like the youngest child would be scripted to ask the question, what is this meal for? And then the patriarch of the family would tell the story of Egypt, tell the story of God's deliverance of his people and say, we have to we do this to remember, to remember what God has done, to remember how he delivered our fathers from slavery. And so when Jesus begins this meal, the apostles knew what to expect. And, but but he, he's, Jesus doesn't stay on script. I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, this is part of it, and after giving thanks, he said, this, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He, he starts by not looking back, not looking back at the Exodus, but looking forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. That's strange. All right, and he takes bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. He said, this is my body my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He should have taken the bread and said, this is the unleavened bread to remember the deliverance. Remember how our ancestors had to leave Egypt in a hurry because of God's deliverance. Just do this in remembrance of that. But he says, no, this is my, this is bread is my body. Do this to remember me. He took the cup. said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When, when, when God took Egypt, or when God took Israel out of Egypt, he made them a people. He established, he gave them the law. He established the covenant with them. And then Jesus is saying, I'm establishing a new covenant. Right? Something even more amazing is, is happening here than when God delivered his people out of Egypt. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He, 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 it's like he's already giving himself over for them. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen. He's saying, the, the, uh, listen, the Passover lamb that has to be slaughtered today, that's me. Right? The blood that you need to, to deliver you, that's my blood. The, the deliverance, the, the deliverance that, that, that God's people have been celebrating for over a thousand years, that, that was just a foreshadowing of what's about to happen, the deliverance of, of all of God's people from sin forever. He says, as you take this meal, 
You're no longer just going to remember that deliverance, but you're going to remember this deliverance even more. And why? Why is, why is he doing this? It says, this is my body, which is given, what? For you. This is my blood, which is poured out, why? For you. He, he does this for love. And then think of the disciples in this moment. Think of the apostles sitting there hearing this. Surely they didn't understand, but surely, uh, you know, a, a day later, two days later, when they see Jesus hanging on the cross, right, when they see his blood pouring down, do you think these words were not echoing in their minds? This is my blood poured out for you. Christian, aren't you in there? Isn't this, isn't this, can't you be in that you? Didn't Jesus die for you? Oh, his blood was poured out for you. His body was broken for you. He did it out of love. He sacrificed himself. And this is power. <laughs> Jesus is the king. He has ultimate power. All things were created through him and for him. He holds it all together. And how does he use his power? He lays it aside for love. For love. And make this personal, right? Because it is personal. What is our situation? We are We are powerless. Right? Do, you, do you think you have control of your life? Then just live a little longer, you know, uh, if you do. Right? <laughs> you, you, do you think that, no, we, we don't have a lot of power or control, do we? We're powerless. And, and before knowing Christ, we are, we are in fact slaves. We're slaves to sin. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today and that's you. You're like, I can't, I, I know it's wrong. I can't stop it. It's just, that's just what I do. That's true. You're a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, scriptures say. And so you need deliverance. You need someone to come save you. You can't get out of it yourself, right? This is all, this is all of our situation. We're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed a savior and we got one in Christ, Right? He came, the powerful one. He gave up his position and his prestige. He laid aside his glory and his greatness. He, he gave up his power and became powerless for you. He relinquished control of his life and was given into the hands of men. They treated him shamefully. We're about to see, they executed him. And in, in the irony of God, this weakness, <laughs> in his weakness was his greatest strength. And in his defeat, he gained the victory. It turns out that the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Turns out the foolishness of God is stronger than, and, and wiser than human wisdom. This is the gospel. This is the power of God. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. It's the only power that changes a heart. 
Listen, you can modify your behavior. You can make New Year's resolutions. How's that going for you? Like we're in the end of January. Uh, we, like you can, you can for, you, out of fear, you can change your life in some ways, but the only way to change your heart, to go to the deepest part, the only way is to, is to encounter the power of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This changes us and it redefines power forever for us. When we see the, the most powerful, the only one with all authority, when we see him give it up for us, it changes us forever. And it changes how we use power. So how, how should Christians think about and use power? We who have been changed, right? We, we, if, if you believe this, if, if, if Jesus came for you and gave his life for you, we have been changed, cannot use power any longer in the way that the world does. Right? We, we have to recognize the true source of power is God. And the only proper use of power in submission to him is to love. And I, I think this plays out in our life in, in many ways. This is, there's a lot of application now in this sermon. So let's think about it individually. How, how does this work? Right, this applies to everyone. I know I've got elementary kids in here. This applies to, to all, all the kids, all the, all the children, um, all of us. What do we have? If you're alive in here, you have time. Right, you have days and hours and minutes and seconds. You don't know how much of them you have. Maybe not many left. Right, but but you, you have these. They are a gift. They're a stewardship to you. You can't make yourself any more time or give yourself any more time than God is going to give you. Pure gift. Do you use them? Right? This is power. Right? We have time. We, we can do stuff, can't we? God has given us authority. We, we can do things. Do you use your seconds and your minutes and your hours and your days in submission to God to love others? Or do you mainly use your time for yourself? Do you mainly just think about what you want? What you want to do? What's good for you? It's really easy to believe the lie that my time belongs to me. It's really easy to, to say in a church service, Jesus, I'm yours. Everything is yours. And then to go out in the foyer and get frustrated because you have to talk to someone who's, who's you know, annoying to you for a little longer than you want. <laughs> right? It's like, my time is yours unless you want me to do anything that might be a little inconvenient. <laughs> That's time. What about money? What about money? You have money in your bank account. If money in your 401k, whose money is that? Who gets to decide what, what happens with that money? Right, me. My, it's my money. Is it? Is that, is that what the scriptures say? No. This money is a gift. It's power. You can do things with money, can't you? stewardship and money can come and money can go you can't take money with you right whatever you have has been given to you on loan from God to whom everything belongs this is a stewardship how are you using your money do you use it primarily for your own comfort and personal peace 
Or do you use it to love and to serve others? Use it sacrificially? Do you, as, as we saw earlier in Luke, do you use it to welcome others into eternal dwellings? Your possessions, right? We could just keep going on this. What, what, what is your house, your car, your couch for? What, are, what is it for? Have you thought about that? What's my couch for? <laughs> Taking naps, right? All this stuff is for my comfort, for me to be happy, for me to be safe. Is it? No. All of this has been given to us to use, to sacrifice whatever we have in submission to God, to sacrifice for the good of others, to love others. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Let's think corporately now in bigger, bigger sort of categories. Um, how, how does this apply to employers and employees? Do you have employees? Do you have people under you? Are you a manager? Do you have authority over people at your company? Well, then you have, a, then you have been given authority by God. Right? God has put you where you are. Why? So that you can sacrifice yourself for their good. Do do you use your employees or do you serve your employees? Do you exploit them or do you sacrifice for them? How are you using the authority you've been given? We can apply this to politics. Right, God, God, clearly, the scriptures say, God establishes governments. He establishes rulers. And he establishes them, why? So that they would have authority to execute justice, to organize society for the good of people, to love. Right? And, and, and rulers, right? Governors and in our country, at the, at the city level, at the state level, at the federal level, uh, our rulers should, uh, should govern in, with this in mind that there is a king in heaven who will judge their authority. Or have they used their authority in a way that for their own ego, in a way to, to make enrich themselves, in a way to, uh, to you know, prop up their own reputation, to consolidate their own power? Or have they used their authority and the power, anything they've been given, to lay down their lives for the good of others. Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings, isn't he? It means he will judge every king and every king will be held responsible, every ruler held responsible for how they use their authority. We should pray for leaders like that, shouldn't we? May their tribe increase. I don't see many You can apply this to, to church, to pastors and a congregation. Pastors have been given authority, have been given power, right, by God, to shepherd, to lead, to discipline the church. Right? And pastors are only, uh, uh, the only reason pastors have been given this authority is so that, pa- that pastors can lay down their lives for the sake of the flock, so that they can serve There's no room in pastoral ministry for ego. There's no room in pastoral ministry for building a platform. 
Right? There's no room for doing anything that, that lifts up the pastor. No, it, the, only thing, the only reason pastors have been given authority is to lay their lives down. Right? And that's tricky, and we need your prayers. How do you know if I'm preaching this right now to make myself look good or because I love you? You don't know, and I don't know. I, like, I hope it's for the right reasons. Pray for me, right? Like, we, we, need your, we need help and accountability on this. And, and w- the moment that we start not, not sacrificing ourselves for the flock, then may God take us out and give you some new good pastors. You see this, and you can apply this to husbands and wives. Right, husbands. As the head of the household, how are you using your authority to lay down your life, to serve your spouse? Right, this is what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as what Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the standard. Is your marriage characterized by, oh yeah, he's always sacrificing for his wife's good. He's always laying down his desires to, to, help, to, so that, to help her, to lift her up, to encourage her. It's getting convicting. I'm going to move on. Uh, parents. <laughs> parents and children. Right? Parents. We, we, we have been given authority. You've been given authority, parents, over your children. That's why it's okay, kids. It's why it's okay when your parents say, do it because I said so. That's actually an okay thing to say because they, God has given your parents authority over you. To, to, to train you and to, to appoint you, instruct you in the ways of God. Right, but, but parents, how are you using that authority? Do you primarily use your authority over your children to serve them, to love them? Or do you often use your authority to manipulate them? to demean them, to, to try to control their behavior? Do you lift, raise your voice to try to, to just get them to do what you want them to do? Or do you, do you talk to them as, chill, as, as people <laughs> with kindness, gentleness, humility, respect, honor? Or do you think that since, since, since I have authority, since they're my kids, I can talk to them however I want? Oh no, we, we've been given authority by God and in submission to him, that authority is so that we can lay down our lives for our children. We, and we, what, a, what a weight to represent the authority of God to our children. Oh, God, may God help us. <laughs> may he help us. May they not get to, the, get, to their, get to college and go, yeah, I, I don't want anything to do with God if he's like my parents. I think you can apply this to, to the church in general, the church in the world. We, we as God's people, we've been given spiritual authority, haven't we? we? We are, what does Peter say? We are a kingdom of priests that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We, we have been given a new identity as ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are sheep sent out in the midst of wolves. 
And, and how will the world see the reality of God? How will the world see the reality of God and his love? I'll tell you, it's not through the church using the authority we've been given to grasp for power, to try to hold on to our rights, to try to assert dominance over people or over the culture. No, the world will see the reality of God by the way that we love each other and the way that we love them. Right, so we, we use power to sacrifice. Right? We use whatever authority we've been given to sacrifice our lives for the life of the world. As Paul says, to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ so that the world, the world can't see Christ suffer. He's not suffering currently. Right? He did that 2,000 years ago. How will the world see the suffering of Christ? They will see it in the sufferings of his people. And so we give and expect nothing in return. So we forgive, even when they're not even asking for forgiveness. We, we turn the other cheek. We serve. Jesus says, the greatest among you are those who serve. Like Paul says, I want to be a servant to everyone. That by any, any means, I might win some. Isn't this the church? Isn't this what we should be? And if we look just like the world, right? If we, if we use power the same way, if we hold and hoard our time and our money and our possessions in the same way, if we, if we try to get ahead and don't care who we run over, if we just pursue a platform and, and influence and financial security uh, and authority just to try to be somebody, try to make something of ourselves in the world, uh, what non-Christian person in their right mind will look at us and say, oh, I want what they have. They're just like me, except they're busy on Sunday mornings. Right? Nobody. Have we lost our saltiness? Have we hidden our, our light under a basket? I think it's important to say that, that sacrificing himself was not fun or comfortable for Jesus. And it won't be for us either. Right? This isn't the sales thing, like if you help enough other people get what they want, then you'll get what you want, right? Now sometimes it might work out like that. If you love and serve your neighbor, y'all might have a good relationship, you know? But also they might hate you. Uh, and that doesn't change what we're called to do. We're called to a real sacrifice. And I also think it's important to say that you can't just try harder. Right? You can't just try harder. Again, that's not the way to change. Go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better about loving my kids. I'm gonna do better about helping my employees instead of using them. I know, no, you can't just try harder. We must look to Jesus who died for us. Right? Even Jesus, right? Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him endured the cross. What joy? Oh, he was looking past, wasn't he? He was looking past the cross. He was looking to the people he would redeem. And when we look to him, when we repent of our lovelessness, 
And when we ask him to fill us, then he fills us with his love. Right? And then it's a joy. It's actually a joy to sacrifice ourselves. It's a joy to give our lives away. It's the only place there is life, really. And so we need him. And so perhaps if today we will look to Jesus who loves us, and if we repent, times of refreshing will come. And perhaps the world will begin to ask us, why, why, why do you have so much hope? Explain that to me. And we'll be able to. Let's pray. Father, I can't believe uh, that, that someone with all power would use it just to sacrifice for us, his enemies. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we will never be able to thank you enough for what you've done. Take a moment in your seat uh, just to be with the Lord. Uh, He's here. Just open yourself up to him and ask him what, what he wants from you. What's he leading you to repent of? What's he leading you to pray for? Take a moment to be with him. we ask for your forgiveness and for the ways that we've used your good gifts for our own selfish desires and not for others. Lord, I praise you that there's no limit to your grace (laughs) because it seems that there's no limit to our sin. So we praise you. We thank you for your forgiveness, for your righteousness that is ours. And we ask for the power by your spirit to love, 
Father, would you, would you pour your love into our hearts right now? Would you so fill us with your love that it's, that's what comes out of us, that we would gladly give ourselves away. It wouldn't even feel like a sacrifice <laughs> because of your love. Lord, convict us of the ways we're holding back. We're drawing away from you instead of drawing towards you. Forgive us for the ways we forget you, we forget your presence. Lord, I pray for our church. Would you make us a place where power is used in this way, sacrificially? Would you make us like Jesus? Would you give us grace to suffer well? Would you help us to lay down our lives for the good of the world and the good of each other? We need you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.